Recently, I was uh, driving on a street not far from here, my neighborhood, and just driving down the road uh, from a road uh, close by here. And on the radio uh, came this song, this, this piece of music, I should say, actually a piece of classical music that, although you might not be able to identify it if you don't listen to uh, classical music a lot, you all know this piece of music because it's been used, it's very popular, it's been used in you know, movie scores, it's been used in television commercials, I think it was even uh, some popular songs were set to this melody, and it's a beautiful piece of music, and I was just listening to it, and I just kind of got in one of those, I don't know, those grooves or whatever, that it just kind of captured my imagination, and I just, I just kind of got into it, and I was just listening to it, and it dawned on me about a minute in that I forgot where I was going, okay? <laughs> now... As I ex- began to access my list, you know, we're all going different places and multiple places at once, you know, all of a sudden this thought came in my head. It was one of those weird, it almost felt like someone, you know, it came in from, you know, outside. And the thought that came in my head was, I wonder how long I can go without remembering where I'm going. <laughs> and I remember it was so clear, almost like someone said it to me, and I thought, okay. And I just kind of backed away from thinking about it enjoying this piece of music, and I just kept driving down this road, and for two, three, maybe four minutes, okay, I didn't know where I was going, I didn't know who was I was meeting, and I didn't care, okay? Now, it eventually came to me, right? Uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I realized where I was going, but as I thought about it later, I thought, you know, this was a, uh, in those few minutes, I had experienced a kind of, I don't know, clarity, ironically, right? I don't know where I was going. A kind of clarity and a kind of peace that was really kind of profound. Uh, And the point is, as I thought about it, it's a place like this. I'm talking about clarity. I'm talking about a place of peace. I'm talking about a place that's distraction-free and worry-free that I think we can best hear from God and we can most likely live our lives on purpose, which is what we've been talking about these many weeks. I also think that this is the place, or it's from this kind of place, this is the true the place where true discipleship happens in our lives. But we, the point of this simple story is we, uh, we shouldn't just stumble into it, right? But we need to choose to live this way, to be in this place of clarity, to hear God, to turn down the anxieties and fears and worries in our own life and turn up the voice of God. We have to decide to go there. You can't truly live your life on purpose by accident. Okay? And this is where we find the disciples and Jesus in the final passage uh, that we're looking at in this series in Matthew's Gospel. If you have a copy of the Gospel, we're back where we were last week. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 27 in a message titled, The Call of Faith. 
the call of faith. Matthew 16, 21 to 27, follow along as I read. From that time on, important uh, marker, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what? They have done. Now, if you've read this passage before, and you probably have, uh, you're supposed to be surprised by Peter's actions, okay? And we looked at this last week if you were here, but even if you weren't, just before these verses, you'd be surprised even if you didn't know what was before it. But just before these verses, you know, Peter gives this, his, his high watermark of his entire career as a disciple. He says, listen, Jesus says, who do men say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right, man. And, and Peter was commended for his, his insight, maybe, into the person of Jesus and his follower of Jesus. And right here, Peter does something that seems incredibly uh, um, you know, at least if you read the whole passage, it's, it's, it seems like it's the low point, right? He, he takes Jesus aside. Imagine having the courage to do this. He takes Jesus aside, rebukes him, right? And says, no, this will, what you just said, Jesus, is never going to happen. Now, you're surprised at it. I'm surprised at it. It's sobering uh, for us. But I would suggest to you that it's, if you were a first century Jew... I think we're supposed to understand this if we study the Bible a little bit. It it would be completely understandable. That is Peter's response. Because this point of view that's behind Peter's actions, why does does he sort of try to take Jesus aside and sort of correct his thinking to say, Jesus, this isn't gonna happen. You're going down the wrong road. This whole idea of suffering and death. No, I wanna take you off of that road almost as if he's saving Jesus from, from enemies or something, right? This idea was very much a part of the understanding of the contemporary Judaism, that is the Jewish faith, of which Peter, James, and John, and all these friends uh, were a part of. To them, okay, and I think you, you, the more you read the New Testament and the Old Testament, you, you, we get this sense. They were looking for, they were all looking for the Messiah. Anyone that was a Jewish person, it was looking for the Messiah. From Genesis to, to Malachi, there's all these promises, right? And they're growing about the Messiah, the one who's going to come, is going to deliver God's people, is going to set the world to rights. And they were looking for, but the person, the profile, the cover of the puzzle box for the average Jewish person was a royal figure. 
was even a military figure. And that royal figure and that military figure, the Lord God Almighty, was going to bring suffering to the enemies of Israel. He was going to, in fact, kill the enemies of Israel, not himself suffer and himself be killed, okay? The Christian message, which comes later, I'm talking about in the writing of the New Testament, about a crucified Messiah, right? Right? That's what you and I celebrate, right? This cross above me. This idea, which is common sense to us, this idea of a crucified Messiah, a rejected Messiah, a suffering Messiah, was in the days of Jesus absolutely crazy talk, okay? Nobody would have come to this conclusion. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. The whole world was divided, in a sense, between Jews and Greeks because Greeks represented the Hellenistic culture. In other words, the, the rest of the world, secular culture. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we, speaking of the New Testament church, we preach Christ, wait for it, crucified. What? We preach Christ, we like it so far, Messiah and Christ, same word, crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and absolute foolishness to Gentiles. But let me talk about what we're getting here. Okay? If anyone wants to be my disciple, right? it's an invitation. Ironically, he says it to his disciples, right? I think that's supposed to be a little elbow to us. You know, if he says to the disciples, if you really want to be my disciple, what is Jesus saying here? What Jesus is saying here is the invitation that Jesus is giving us here is to loose ourselves. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to loose yourselves from being so influenced by what other people think, so much so that you can't even see the truths that are right in front of you. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Now why? You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, right? Jesus says, listen, I want to clear, if you really want to hear from me, if you really want to be able to understand the truth, if you really want to get forward, if you want to live your life on purpose, you need to be loosed from your worries, your fears, your anxieties that are on a constant hum 24 hours a day in your head and in my head. Because when that happens, sometimes, that's what happened to Peter, your best thinking can be your worst enemy. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying here. Remember, this is not some passage about, you know, ho-hum life and go, no, listen, he that, he that finds his life will lose it. That's not the end of the sermon. But in other words, he that makes his own self-satisfaction, his own small ambitions, his own vision of the world, his vision of success, he that make, makes this what their life's about, they're going to lose it. They're going to waste it. But he that loses his life for me is going to find it. Okay? This isn't a negative message. But Jesus is saying, listen, you've got to learn. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to check your own small thinking at the door. Right? Sometimes your best 
thinking can be your worst enemy. Think about Peter. What's the point? The point here is simply this, that Peter, he made this great confession. He loved Jesus. He was a committed follower of Jesus. No question about it. But at this moment in his history, I don't know where you are, where I am, in my moment, in my history, Peter didn't know Jesus the way he thought he knew him. Okay? This is a loving rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. He's trying to encourage him, challenge him, turn him around a little bit. He didn't know him the way he thought he was. You know, I was uh, in graduate school a few years ago, two, three. <laughs> when I was in graduate school, a good, very good friend of mine, we were buddies. He was part of my circle in those days, and he eventually uh, met his wife, and I got to meet his wife, and we're part of their lives, and, they're, and they got married, and uh, they're still married today, great uh, friends. I don't see him as much. But a few years after they got married, handful of years after they got married, my friend's wife, her father died, kind of young. And she, I think, I think because she was the closest, I think she had a very special relationship with her dad, because she was so close with her dad, she was the one that kind of went through all of his papers and, and all that. And while she was going through his papers, she discovered that her father was having, had had an affair, year-long affair with another woman that this family knew. And it absolutely devastated this woman's life. I mean, they had no idea. And her father was, you know, the, was, was the most important person in her life. For different reasons, okay, Jesus didn't have an affair with any. For different reasons, that's what's going on here. Okay? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen. He said, get behind me, Satan. Because what you think, I, who you think I am and who I am are two different things. Where you think I'm going and where I'm actually going are two different things. Okay? That's what he's saying. The Messiah would and will set the world to rights. That is to say, what they were looking for was not fantasy. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to come kind of on a white horse. Right, Book of when the white horse Jesus is coming and he's going to set the world to rights. He's, the lion will lay down with the lamb. The, the, you know, the, 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 the world and its corruptions will be finally put to an end. That is a great part of the Old Testament picture of the Messiah. But before he's going to set the world to rights, he has to set the human heart to rights, okay? That's the suffering Messiah. And by the way, it wasn't just Peter who got it wrong. Sometimes we pick on Peter, right? We like to pick on people. Four chapters later, later in the Gospel of Matthew, this is, if this wasn't true, it would be a comedy. It would be funny. I mean, James and John, the other two part of the inner circle, right? Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had an inner circle. Peter, James, and John goes up onto the mountain, goes in the Garden of Gethsemane. These were the men, these three men, who happened to be the inner circle of Jesus, okay? Four chapters later, James and John, nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, which I guess is like, you know, they're, they're tough guys, you know? They come with their mother to Jesus, this is a true story, with a request. Jesus, we have a request for you, with their mother, okay? What's your request? 
Jesus says. So Jesus is so nice. What would you like? He says, well, this is what I would like, Mrs. James and John says, about her two sons who were a little too shy to tell Jesus what they wanted. Well, in your kingdom, okay, in your kingdom, they knew he was the Messiah, we want to sit on your right hand and on your left. You see, up there in that beautiful throne that you're going to be sitting on with all the glory and the pomp and the circumstances and the two lion's heads, and we want to be on your right and on your left. Now, why would you ask something like that? Because it, re- it revealed the, their understanding of what the Messiah was. You know what Jesus said to them? Look at it later today, Matthew 20. He said in a gentle way, um, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't really know me yet, okay? Sometimes your best thinking can be your worst enemy. Now, was Peter sincere? Of course he was sincere. He loved Jesus. He wanted to protect Jesus from being harmed. Was this motivated by love? Of course it was motivated by love. But he didn't really know Jesus because the cross was always where Jesus was headed. Again, back to verse 21. Watch from the language carefully. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to the disciples, slow down, that he must go to Jerusalem, right? This was not a, uh, you know, he didn't stumble his way to the cross. He must go there. I've said throughout this series that our surroundings can often be more decisive in our growth than God can be. Now, sometimes those surroundings are our cultural values, right? Because we live in a world that has a very um, uh, different value system. Sometimes it's our fears and anxieties, right, that are louder than God and more decisive. You know, think about any, you just pick your day, right? Now, today, what's the popular subject in today's culture? Coronavirus. Wow, look how perfect it did that, okay? Listen, now, what is your, what do I think about this? Is it serious? Of course it's serious. Let's pray. Let's wash our hands and let's, let's go help. If it gets worse, let's walk into the, to where it's, where people are sick and do something about it. Let's be the body of Christ. But it's not bigger than God, okay? I was at the gym. This is no uh, joke. It's funny, but it's no joke. I was at the gym the other day. Not that I'm at the gym. That's not a joke, but anyway. <laughs> but anyway, I was in this woman I know, a friend of mine, she came up and we're just small talking. She started talking about the coronavirus. And she said to me, you're never gonna believe what I just heard. She was just playing tense with a bunch of other uh, people. And I said, what? And she said, the women that I was just talking to said that um, people are, 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 are not drinking Corona anymore. In other words, the corona sales are down. And I thought, it took me a minute. I go, you mean the corona beer that Mexico? Yes, because of the coronavirus? She goes, yes. Now, she said that. I thought, well, I just let it go. I thought it was kind of just crazy talk. Now, a couple days later, I get an email from my Texas friends. You know, I spent years in Texas. Corona's, you know, close to Mexico. It's a big drinking state of Texas or corona drinking state. Corona sales are down 10% in the state of Texas. Okay, wow. Our surroundings, right, can often be more decisive in our life, this is the point, than the voice of God. Sometimes it's cultural values, sometimes it's fear and anxieties. Listen, sometimes it's our beliefs and convictions about God 
that are inaccurate or that they're incomplete. Peter misjudged Jesus. Peter misjudged himself. Listen, we say to ourselves, God would never allow that to happen. God would never ask me to do that. Actually, he would. If you could turn down the noise in your head, you could turn down the other surroundings that are, that are really keeping you from hearing God so that you could hear what it is that God has to say. Verse 24. Where does this passage kind of get its, its where people mostly uh, familiar with this passage? When Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, three things are said. You must deny yourself, you must take up your cross, and you must follow me. Okay? Three things. I would suggest to you, I wouldn't be the first, that those are three ways of saying the same thing. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. One writer said this, he's paraphrased it. Renounce yourself. I mean, take up your cross. I mean, follow me, right? The great C.S. Lewis. Humility is not thinking of your, less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, okay? I, I, I got to know this guy, uh, a new friend. I had a practice with him this week. Getting to know him, he's kind of new to his faith. It's exciting, he's telling me about his life. And it was just, you know, it was one of these guys, just after an hour with him, I was just, it was encouraged as I saw how God was working in his life. Um, but he's new. And he, but he, he, he has a family, he's got some kids, and he's, he's a, he's a, he runs his own business, a very successful businessman. And he was just saying, you know, life is great, but life is a challenge. And he looked at me in the middle of this conversation, he kind of grabbed me on the side of my arm, and he looked and he said, you know, uh, Rob, he said, but there's a prayer I pray every day when I get in my car. Can I tell you what it is? I go, yeah. And he goes, Lord, save me from the bondage of myself. Isn't that great? Your best thinking can be your worst enemy because it keeps you from hearing God's second thing. To live on purpose means to take Jesus' teachings seriously. I think that's what this passage is really saying. It means to take Jesus' teaching seriously. To base your life on them quickly. Let me say something. This passage that we started reading, this this, um, Jesus telling his disciples he's going to suffer and die. Now, he's been leaning in that direction, if you read the whole gospel, but this is the first time it's non-figurative language, so they don't miss it, and he says to them, it's very specific, and he actually says it three times, chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 20, in a short span, the exact same words. And this is no nonsense. From that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples what's going to happen, but it could not be clear. I'm going to tell you where it's going to happen. It's going to be in Jerusalem. I'm going to tell you who's got the, who's, you know, who's pointing the, the, got the who's got the, the, the smoking gun. It's the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of law. I want to be very specific. He says it to him three times. But the disciples, because they have this competing vision, right? The royal Messiah, not the suffering Messiah. They don't see it, even though, see, we know this after the fact, that it's in there, the suffering Messiah. Isaiah 53, Zechariah 12, you know, Psalm 22, etc. But most of them didn't see it because it was drowned out by the more appealing vision of the Messiah, right? There's something else that's here too that's so amazing to me when I think about it, when I read, thought about it this week, studying this passage. 
Yes, Jesus tells him he's going to die and suffer and be killed, and this is powerful. And although it's in the Old Testament, they don't really see it. It's sort of hidden, and it's overwhelmed by all the other visions of the Messiah that they have. But Jesus says something else here in all three times that he mentions his death. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, let me say this. The resurrection is not found anywhere in the Old Testament at all, right? If you want to live your life on purpose, you need to take the teachings of Jesus seriously, especially here. This is a new thought, a new teaching, and it comes from and it's about Jesus. But in all three passages, the disciples never even say, wait a minute. Imagine imagine someone comes home to you today your wife, your son, your daughter, you know, I mean, this is a ridiculous example. Let's say they come home to you today and, and, and they walk in the door and they got a bandage on their head and they're, you know, there's a couple, you know, uh, cuts and bruises, their arms in a sling and, and, and you go, honey, what happened? And they said, well, you know, I was in a car accident and, and uh, you know, I'm, uh, the, I'm okay, but the car's, you know, damaged and we're going to have to take uh, Uber tomorrow and, and uh, you know, and, but uh, I'm going to live. And, and, what else? I, uh, I finally uh, scratched off that thing, and we won the Powerball lottery uh, for $180 million. Okay, now, imagine that happened, and you got done with that speech, and your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad say, oh my gosh, I can't believe we got to take Uber. <laughs> okay, I mean, Seriously. All three times he does give them this hard news. It's hard news. The guy you love and you're following, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be arrested. These these very powerful people, the chief elders, they are going to kill me. Jesus, no nonsense. That's sobering. That's hard. I wasn't waiting for that. I wasn't expecting that. No, Jesus, you'll never do that. But I'm going to rise from the dead. And nobody asks him a single thing about it. Right? Right next to that hard news, there's a diamond size, there's, there's, a, there's a baseball size diamond right next to the bad news. And nobody says a word, right? To live on purpose is to take Jesus' words seriously. That's what Jesus says at the end of the gospel, Matthew 28. And teaching them, this is the point, to obey everything I have commanded. See, if his disciples took that advice, they wouldn't have fallen off the track here. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You gotta know what that is. You have to turn the volume down in your head. You gotta stop listening to yourself and to others. You're too, you're too focused on human, uh, human concerns and not the concerns of God. You have to turn that down so that you can actually hear him. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's increasingly difficult for us in a world like this to listen to God, right? But we want it. There's an openness when we do listen to God, right? That we didn't. That we see things we didn't see before. To hear things we didn't hear before, and to get the courage to do things. That's what this. What this passage is really all about. To do things. For the Son of Man is coming with his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward, listen carefully, to each person according to what they have done. 
hear things you haven't heard, see things you haven't seen, have the courage to do things you haven't done. Last point. A life on purpose is a life that wins. That's what Jesus is saying here. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory. He said, listen, I'm trying to teach you something, uh, disciples. I want to teach, I, I, I want your life to matter. I got important things for you to do. But when Jesus says, listen, I want you to lose your life. Whoever wants to be my disciple, we, we've, we've read this passage so many times and we think it's a downer, see? We're like the disciples, there's a diamond-sized baseball right there. We don't even see it. We think it's a downer. Oh, man, he's gonna, it's a killjoy. Life's not gonna be any fun. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I wanna elevate your understanding of what life is really all about. He's saying, listen, Jesus Christ is coming again, okay? And, you know, it's, it's in, a, in a manner of speaking, it's gonna be soon for all of us, whether he comes because it's tomorrow, it's his, his, his clock has finally hit noon, or it's because you and I die a natural death. It's going to come soon. But when he comes, this is what he's saying. He is coming with a reward, a reward for every person to give him according to what they've done. Now listen, reward, he's not, ta- he used this word on purpose. If he's talking about reward, he's not talking about becoming a Christian or not being a Christian. That's why I use the word, we know that the gospel, nobody becomes a Christian because they earn their salvation. So that's, the disciples don't have to earn their salvation. Jesus isn't unsaving Peter when he sort of sets him back in this little um, uh, confrontation. They're trying to teach them something. This, is, this passage is not about being saved. It's about being satisfied, right? It's about living a life that matters. He that finds his life will lose it. Translation, he or she that decides, well, I'm gonna live my best energies, right? Satisfying my small ambitions, seeking after my own selfish desires. If that's how I'm going to live my life, listening to the noise and the cultural values, human concerns, as if that's where satisfaction is. He said, if that's the way you live your life, and is, can you live that way as a Christian? Of course you can. That's the whole point. Of course you can. Right? You can be a Christian and live a wasted life. If that's the life you're going to, he says, but if you, get, if you wake up and you lose that life, right? Back to my opening story. Get to a place. Find your way there that the teachings of Jesus become the center of your life where you turn down the volume, right? And you allow the word of God to become the primary volume in your life. You begin to allow God to open up your your, your, the aperture in your life and say, listen, listen to what I have to say. Make God's concerns, not human concerns, your priority. Well then, right, you have a different thing coming. When Jesus says he wants to, uh, you know, uh, lose your life to find it, it's not a, it, it's a warning for a, to not waste your life, but it's also an invitation to live a life with purpose. What are the rewards? And I'm done. Right? What are the rewards? At least two things from this passage. What are the rewards for the person who puts God first in their worries and their fears and their wants and even their best ideas second? Two things I think this passage teaches us. Number one, the freedom of obedience. Right? That's what I learned in my little moment, right? Sure, I was, uh, uh, you know, 
it's hard for me to be obedient because I'm, I'm to, to, I got seven other things that are always coming at me. My own desires, my own needs, my own fears. What is someone going to think of me? See, I got to turn those down. But once I turn those down, if I have the freedom of obedience. Right? When Jesus says he that, fi- that loses his life for fi- fi- will find it, he's not talking primarily about losing your life as a martyr in Africa. To some of us, that's the message. And sometimes we dismiss this passage like that's what it's all about. For some of us, that is true. But for most of us, what we're losing, or what he wants to lose, is a life where, where all our best energies are used managing our anxieties and managing our fears that are constantly going on. He said, listen, that's what's killing you. That's what's keeping you from living a life on purpose. And this kind of life, if you say yes to this kind of discipleship, to put God first in your life and mean it, to become a real student of his teachings and live by them, even when they don't make sense, right? Like the suffering didn't to his disciples. Well, then you're going to have a certain freedom, right? You're going to drive down the road in your life, right? With a kind of clarity and a kind of conviction that allows you to experience the kind of purpose that you want. So there's a freedom of obedience. And lastly, there's a joy in service, okay? A joy in service. He that finds his life will lose it, but he that loses his life will find it and will do something meaningful. Jesus will say this in the book of Acts. It's a quote that's not found in the Gospels. It is more blessed to give than receive. You've heard that. Some of you didn't know Jesus said that. You thought, you know, I don't know, your grandmother said it. But it is more blessed to give than receive. But when Jesus said that, it wasn't a campaign slogan. It was a statement about human nature saying listen you want to know what life you know some people wait you know and they they wait till the end of their life you know and they've they've you know we're all in this game you know get our kids to college and IRA and we do all and then we say now at you know 72 we're gonna volunteer or something I mean I'm not knocking that we but the point is we we and then and then at 73 we go gosh this I've had more this has been more satisfying than everything else I've ever done in my life ah so right that's what Jesus is saying it's the joy of service This is what, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And if you and I can learn how to better say no to the small ambitions, the constant noise that's in our head, right? We can turn that down and truly make the teachings of Jesus central, right, in our lives. We talked about this in January. All of a sudden, we can turn a corner. And we don't have to spend all of our lives chasing human concerns, chasing human approval. And we can allow God to meet the deepest needs in our life. And we can go into the world and actually make a difference and experience a kind of satisfaction, right, that we were made to experience. Amen? All right. Stand with me. Let's pray. My God and Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning with these, my, my brothers and sisters. And Lord, we just come to you as we think about the amazing both challenge and opportunity that is ours as a follower of Jesus, as a modern-day disciple of Jesus. Lord, we live in a world, it's always been this way, where there are competing 
interests, competing values, competing um, um, desires that are always at work like, a, like a, a, a steady stream in our minds and in our hearts to keep us distracted, to keep us um, anxious, and to keep us, Lord, um, uh, to make us hard of hearing uh, uh, toward you. Lord, I just pray for all of us here this morning that you would open our hearts, that you would give us this, um, help us to reach this place of, of greater clarity, of greater peace, of greater confidence, that we might quiet the noise around us, that we might learn to be better students of your word, better um, practitioners of prayer. We might be people who know what it means, even in a um, fast-paced world, to move at a very um, steady and peaceful pace with you uh, as our Lord, as our Savior, that we might make your word central in our lives and that we, Lord, might, might wake up every morning and say, God, save me from the bondage of myself and help me to hear your words and to obey them uh, that I might know um, a life of greater purpose uh, here in my classroom, in my, in my office, in my home, in my neighborhood, uh, wherever you've called me to live my life this day. So I just pray for all of us. Bless us, Lord, we pray, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.